0: If you want to get rid of all the ads, just choose the David McWilliams Plus option on Apple Podcasts, and you'll hear us without any clutter, or noise, or ads. Lovely,
1: John. Beautiful. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices
0: You have to understand human nature.
1: This podcast is powered by ACAST.
0: How are you doing there? It is podcast time. This podcast, we're going to talk about why Ireland might be wealthy, but it doesn't feel wealthy. Why John... Irish people are rich, but we can be we can feel poor at the same time. Do you know what, Mac? L- let's talk about that. Will you turn off your boombox? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm tell you, I'm listening with John. Locke. I'm listening to <laughs> Jesus. I'm listening to Lana Del Rey.
1: John. I love Lana Del Rey.
0: Me too. Me too. And when I am reading American sociology, I have to listen to Lana Del Rey.
1: Right.
0: Because she brings me to America. Everything about her is American, right? Mm. And it's it's. I'm, I'm reading. I'm reading a fantastic book at the moment, called It's the Fourth Turning is here by Neil Howe. Ah,
1: Neil Howe, brilliant His
0: new book, right? So which is 25 years after he published the Fourth Turning. He said the Fourth that was Turning 25 years. Ago? Yeah, wow. the Fourth Turning is here. What the seasons of history tell us about how and when this crisis will end, right? And mm. it's an amazing book. I'm writing a blurb for it. So I'm reading it at the moment. It's not published, I think, until July. It is outstanding.
1: Got to get him on the show.
0: We'll definitely get him on the show. Oh yeah. no, we we'll definitely no, no. I spoke to Neil the other day. He said, "Yeah, yeah, he will be on the show." But brilliant. Obviously, the fourth turning is this. his big, big idea is that history repeats itself in these cycles of between eighty and one hundred years. He calls them seculums, which is a Roman word. Yeah. And the idea is that every cycle goes broadly in a similar fashion and it's basically one long lifetime mm. and he breaks these cycles up into periods of 20 years so four periods of 20 years
1: and they're punctuated by events
0: they're punctuated by events so the yeah. idea is he's trying to he's trying to make the point which i believe is that history repeats itself constantly right and you see the same type of trends in various different... So there's four turnings, that's why it's called mm. the fourth turning. The first turning is when, after a crisis, a society emerges out of the crisis. It's this sort of the, the take-off. Mm. And then he has this period called awakenings, right? And then he has degeneration, and then he has crisis, and then we start
1: again, right? So the further you get from that event the weaker the memory
0: it's it's a combination of the weaker memory it's also how generations change and how generations so basically it's very it's fascinating you and i experience 2023 in a completely different way to somebody who's 20 years old
1: right yeah so we
0: we live through the same historical period but we experience it in a profoundly profoundly different way
1: and therefore have a different attitude towards
0: totally different attitude and of course what forms us In many ways, as we get older, it's it's, remember we talked about Beckett, right? (laughs) Yes, we did. And Beckett was talking about looking back on his life. Crap's last tape is about a guy looking back on his life. And he's meditating about the meaning of life and do we change. And how is kind of Beckettian in his approach, which is that we do change over time, right? And as we get older and as we mature, into society, we experience a society different. And a lot of the ways our views are formed, like, so for example, we are part of, you know, Neil Howe came up with the expression millennial. He's the guy who came up with it. Okay, right. right. I mean, that's his claim to fame, you know. It's it's a pretty good claim to fame. We, so the millennials are people born between 1982 and 2000, right? Mm. So the first millennials came of age in the millennial, i.e. they became 18. Yeah. So that's why they're called millennials. We, of course, are Gen Xers, John. Do you know that? And <laughs> so we're kind of uh, the really, sure really unfortunate. We're kind of a pathetic generation. We haven't really done much.
1: Are really? you <laughs> no, not sure about that? No, but
0: if you look in politics and things, yeah, we're yeah. not we're not that well represented. We're kind of much more and, and one of the things he talks about is the way in which our generation were not mollycoddled as children. We were actually we're, the Americans called them latch door kids. We were kind of left to our own devices.
1: Absolutely, we were. We had a hard upbringing out there bare feet. Out there <laughs> bare feet, exactly. No, but no, twenty miles to no, school. No, but and you
0: know this idea now that you know children are mollycoddled. Yeah, and yeah You're yeah, so yeah. special, and this, that, yeah. and the other. What he says is that you know, in America, in particular, our generation were not particularly mollycoddled. In fact. They came of age because these children came of age when the boomers were all divorcing, when there was a hell of a lot of alcoholism, when the it was a much more degenerate country, okay. the United States in the seventies and eighties, right? When, yeah. when we were little kids, okay, mm. that we were kind of like an afterthought, right? Yeah. Whereas whereas the the what he talks about the millennials were much more mollycoddled, much more they were told they were great. Yeah.
1: And but also the 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 it was the recessions of the eighties, particularly here. It was the re- and and in the UK is the recessions of the eighties and the strikes and the All that stuff. Yeah. All that yeah, good yeah. stuff. And all of stuff. It, it, was, yeah, it was hard going and you just but had to get on with it. His
0: his theory, his overarching theory, right, is that I
1: sorry, by the way, I can almost feel all their eyes being raised to heaven there by all the younger generation. Oh, there they go. There those they go again. There they go again. It's like
0: Monty <laughs> Python. <laughs> yeah. I'm a poor, you're a poorer. We had no- an <laughs> out yeah. lived on the the road. Anyway, the point is his point is the fourth turning, so the crisis period, is here now, right? So you start, he yeah, starts right at it 1945, is. so he breaks down the American world, and he then he does it for various different things. But, you know, 1945 to the assassination of JFK yeah. is this new American high, right? Then 1963 to about 1985 is the awakening period, then 1985 to the 2007 crash yeah. is what he would call almost like a degeneration period. And then you get the crisis, which is what we're living through now. And then, of course, the society then rebuilds itself and reforms itself. And he's predicting a new, very innovative and quite upbeat future after this crisis goes through. So- that's, but
1: that's assuming that we get through the crisis. He says we always get through the crisis. Okay, okay. And well, that's the crisis
0: galvanizes people socially. So he makes the point that you know, you know, the, the 1950s in the United States was an extreme decade of volunteerism, social uplift. It was a very, very humanitarian decade. Yeah. It was almost it was the closest thing the Americans ever got to socialism was in the 1950s.
1: Yeah. Okay. You know, yeah, so yeah, all that yeah. sort of
0: stuff. And he says that's a function of what happened after the war. Interestingly, most economists predicted after the Second World War that America would go into a depression, a great depression. Right. Okay. Because Mm. the demand from the war abated. So the demand for trucks, tanks, and la, la, la. Mm. And most economists said, we will go into a massive recession. But what actually happened was Americans did the opposite. They became unbelievably upbeat about them. They started having babies, the baby boomers. That's where they had all the babies, right? And and so it's fascinating. Anyway, and the reason I'm listening to Lana Del Rey is I'm in in America, uh, in my head at the moment, I am in America, That's not where I was. And I want to talk about Ireland. Last Tuesday, I was on the 820. I wouldn't call it an express because that would be a little bit too glorious (laughs) description. The 820 Dunleary to Drogheda train. Right. Okay. And the 820 Dunleary to Drogheda train, if anybody knows about Irish railways, is a bizarre experience. So I'm on the Dunleary to Drogheda train, on my way to Drogheda. Yeah. Interesting town, by the way. Interesting town. And I realised the train's going very slowly. And then, of course, you get the... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you just go, no, Bing it's bong. Bing bong, Irish rail, you know. Actually, yeah. in fact, the, the, the funniest thing on uh, uh, Irish rail, I'll tell you about the story. I was on I was on a train from Cork to Dublin about eight years ago yeah. and the train stopped at Kildare. Yeah. And there was a problem. So goes, <laughs> sorry, there's a problem on the line. La, 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 yeah. la, la. We we're all waiting for the, the next train. And after about an hour, everyone's got really pissed off. Ding dong. The next train to Dublin is a bus. (laughs) (laughs) The fucking bus. The next train to Dublin is a bus. (laughs) Anyway.
1: Go on. We're on our way to Dryda. We're on
0: our way to Dryda. And at Lansdowne Road, train stops. And man comes on. He says, There's been an accident in the train in front of us. And they're waiting for an ambulance. Somebody got sick, obviously, Mm, had an, an episode. Now, the problem in Ireland is there's only two tracks. So if the, if the dart in front of you stops, every single train
1: behind from that, Dublin yeah, yeah. to Ross
0: Lair stops. Because there's only two tracks. But that's the norm though, isn't it? No, every other country have three tracks. So you have a high-speed track and you have a suburban track.
1: Right, okay. okay?
0: So if you look at every other country that you go to, we'll always have a third track. So you can pass out other trains. Right. So you don't get stuck. Right? Remember, remember that remember big. Did you remember when the Russians invaded Ukraine the first There's a big long line of Russian tranks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, just in one road. And yeah. the Ukraine's. So that's, the, that's the Irish train system for you, right? Right. So there's no third lane. So they can't pass them out. No hard shoulder. There's no hard shoulder. So there's no way you can have an express train. Right. Because we haven't built the infrastructure. So I'm sitting there, and quite interesting about being on trains is that when trains stop, people start to get nervous and they start to chat. I've always noticed this, right? And there was a lot of chat about when the next thing's coming. And what was fascinated me was that there were so many foreigners on the train. Right. You know, people speaking some Slavic language, Latin languages, a bit of Urdu, a lot of Indians, all that sort of stuff, right? And it struck me then that, you know, working Ireland is cosmopolitan, it's outward, it's multicultural, it's multi-talented, it's, you know, it's the world.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Whereas infrastructure Ireland, the trains, the trains wouldn't be out of place from the 1950s. So I was trying to understand why in Ireland and I've been trying to figure this out for quite some time, is the country rich on paper, but it doesn't feel rich. It doesn't feel like a wealthy country. You know, when you go to a wealthy country, and I'm talking about the Germans and the Norways of this world, right? Mm. They feel hassle-free. It feels that like they've figured out how to get from A yeah. to B. They've figured out housing. They've figured out how to build properly. You know, so a wealthy country feels wealthy. Yeah. yeah, Whereas Ireland feels as if it's straining at the leash all the time, that everything's jerry-built and there's bottlenecks everywhere and, you know, there's supply problems and there's housing problems and there's, you know, everything feels like it's unpermanent. Yeah. So I was on the train contemplating this (laughs) as I was waiting for the train to start, which did actually restart about an hour later. And I did eventually get to (laughs) my destination. But when I was on the train, I was thinking, why is it that Irish people can be rich and poor at the same time? You can actually on paper have a decent wage, but feel poor. And the reason is because our demand in the economy is so much greater than supply. So what has happened in Ireland, and, and again, lots and lots of people on the train explain this to you, right? What has happened in Ireland is the, in most countries, demand, it's a bit of an economics lesson, John. So, Mm. Aggregate demand and aggregate supply. Yep. So aggregate demand is when you add up all the demands of the economy, put them all together, that's aggregate demand. And aggregate supply is when you add up all the supply in the economy, sure, sure. put it all yeah. together, right? Yeah. In most countries, they broadly even out. It's what economists call equilibrium. So you get yeah. to a point where there's no tendency for change, right? Now, you know, lots of people are studying economics. It's basically the demand the supply curve meet and the price is stable. Now, if your demand curve shifts, right? Because there's far too much demand. And your supply curve remains rigid because you don't build anything new or you don't build quick enough, you get massive inflation. This is the oldest trick in the book, right? And I thought, like, why is this? And the reason is the following is that Ireland has plugged itself into a global economy, right? So when you are on the trains in Dublin or whatever, you're you're seeing people working for Google and Facebook and the technology companies and the pharma companies and all these, right? So we have demand that is actually requisite for a different country. We have bits of American demand here,
1: yeah,
0: but we have Irish supply.
1: So, I understand, yeah, so like, yeah, yeah, For
0: example, if you go to Germany, you don't have this, right? Yeah. So the Irish economic model has been to piggyback on American prowess, American dynamism, American technology. What that has done is it's created enormous opportunities for people who've worked in the DFI, direct foreign investment community, Mm. right? About 250,000 people earning very good wages working for American companies. Mm. But what that has done is that it has meant that all this demand is cascading down on a country with a fixed supply. So, For example, we haven't built a railway service, right? With more than two lines. Yeah. Think about it, right? The Dublin commuter train has two lines, right? The DART that I got in the other day, that that line, Dublin, Dunleary to Dublin, right? Was built before the famine.
1: Right, yeah. It is
0: the oldest suburban rail network in the world. It hasn't been upgraded. Yeah. Right? It hasn't been upgraded since then.
1: This, this, this reminds me of, uh, what have the Romans ever done for us? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but, uh, but but here's the thing, though. I mean, so we have plugged in, as you say. To the to, a, to the world, yeah. To, to a global economy, which is a great thing. It is a great and, thing. And we've benefited hugely from it. But it was almost on the proviso that we plug into that and then upgrade right, you're everything. You're absolutely right. So but the, we c- haven't done so, that.
0: So that's why, why is that? So that's why our GDP figures look great. And even when you take out, you know, people say Irish people have the highest income and la, 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 but it doesn't feel like that. Yeah. Look, So when you, again, when you go to Germany, it feels rich. Yeah. Things work and it's planned and it's figured out. Right. And the reason is it's like indigestion. (laughs) It's as if we ate two steak dinners and chips right? And now we're trying to digest everything. So we we grabbed all this demand from outside. So we have loads of foreign workers, loads of foreign capital, all that sort of good stuff here, right? Mm. But we haven't responded. We're trying to digest all the time. And it's this, we're constantly have this feel of indigestion and economic indigestion manifests itself as house prices go through the roof of traffic, tailbacks, hassle, all that sort of thing. Day to day life just being difficult, yeah. right? It's as if we're trying to figure things out now. So, so what's what's the economic rennies then? Well, that's exactly. I like I like the, I like the way you're talking. Like economic. <laughs> this is obviously two middle aged men with bad bags. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's true. Actually,
0: in fact, I was given a bottle of Gavastone for a present. <laughs> By my and brother-in-law, my brother-in-law from that. the from the north. Yeah. He regularly gives me bottles of Gavaston. He says, You're at that age, right? <laughs> so imagine the economy is me, okay, yeah. <laughs> right? With a bad bag. But what you're basically has happened is we need our supply to respond. Now, when I say our supply, we need houses, we need roads, we need infrastructure. This mm. is what we need, right? But just take the housing market, John. This yeah. is where it's 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 the most cute. Irish house costs are 94% above the EU average. Jesus, right. 94%. So they're almost double EU, right? Property prices have risen 130%. Sorry, property prices have risen 130% since, there's my bag (laughs)
1: gone. Give that some (laughs) renny. Give that (laughs) man.
0: Property prices have gone up 130% since 2013, right? Yeah. There is no supply. Think about it. At one point last year, according to Daft, there were just 2,500 houses available to rent in the whole country. In the whole country, okay? Nice. Last August, there was only 716 homes available to rent in Ireland. Now, this is what's happening. 700 homes in the whole This like. is what indigestion looks This is what indigestion looks like, right? And you've got this extraordinary economy that is powering ahead. The population is going to be above 5 million for the first time since 1851. Mm. We've had a massive 7.6% increase in population since 2016. This is right. 2016. This is phenomenal, right? So people are coming in, we're having babies, right? But we've no infrastructure because the supply hasn't responded. So, in a way, to understand the dilemma, you know, and my kids, Cal ask me, look, Dad, look, how does this work? Yeah. On paper, we're rich. But in practice, everything disappears because everything's so expensive. And I was trying to explain to them, this is what the problem is. We have the demand of Connecticut yeah. and the infrastructure of Albania. <laughs> and that is not a good place to be. So we have to keep building, building, building.
1: So the thing is, though, that we spoke the other day about cathedral thinking, long-term thinking, and all that kind of stuff. So we need to talk about how we move on from this, how we solve this yes, indigestion we do. we do let's talk about that after this okay i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use linkedin jobs linkedin has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role
0: like me in a given month over 70 percent of linkedin users don't visit other leading job sites
1: So we have economic indigestion. How are we going to solve this? So
0: for the first time in Irish economic history, the problem is not insufficient demand. It's too much demand. So the Mm. problem in economics in Ireland all through our lifetime, up until very recently, was there wasn't enough demand and that materialised in very high levels of unemployment, right? Now we have too much demand, very low levels of unemployment are absorbing in immigrants to fill the jobs that are there, but the state or the organs of the state have not opened up the economy in such a way as to allow, for example, homes to be built. So it's all related to, as you said, what we did last time. It's this idea of you need to build infrastructure which is requisite to or demanded by or required by the level of demand. So what we've done now, now we... Everything Ireland does from here on in for the next two decades has to be supply, supply, supply. We have more than enough demand. Mm. All small countries have always wanted to overcome what I call the tyranny of geography or the tyranny of size. We have managed to do that. So typically a small country, their growth rate is always capped by the size of their market. And our market's very small, so our growth rate's going to be very small. What we have done is we've done a great Houdini Act by actually tapping into the American and the EU, in fairness, markets. So we've created a market for ourselves, not of 300 million in the EU, but 300 million in the EU plus 300 million in in America. So we're servicing a market of 600 million. And the demand consequences of that are what we feel in Ireland, which is everything seems to be out of control. So, so because this, it is actually out of control.
1: Yeah. So this, so this is like like a super hyped up marketing department that are doing brilliantly. Sales guys are <laughs> yeah, out there and, seven, the, yeah, and but then the operations there's lads, there's no product. In the back. There's no
0: product. It's yeah. like oh shite. <laughs> yeah. We're after we're after booking a million quid of sales, but we've <laughs> no product. Like, that's exactly what's going on. Yeah. And the product we have therefore is incredibly expensive. Yes. it's called inflation yeah.
1: yeah so
0: what we need to do now and all our economic efforts now for the next I think decades have to be supply 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 because we've only got two opportunities here we've only got we've got a choice right mm. either we can crush demand and by that means you bring on a recession you precipitate a crisis, you allow large parts of the economy to fail. You embrace poverty, right? Jesus. That's I the mean, only thing you can do to bring down demand. That's so economic you can't that. suicide. It's so like, you've got it's like self-harming. It's like self-harming. So you don't want to do that. Mm. So what you have to do is you have to grasp the nettle on the supply side. And that means long-term infrastructural projects, number one, but also short-term. So for example, in building, change the way in which we build things. You know, change the way in which we go about building homes, right? We have to take the best practices from abroad and if they are homes built in factories and assembled on site, do it. That's what we have to do. The problem there is there's so many vested interests in construction that don't want to do this, right? So any government, and you know we're going to be talking about governments and change and, and what have you, right? But any government that comes in needs to understand what is now required of it. And what is now required of it is to bulldoze through any sort of bottlenecks in supply. Because if we don't do that, the economy will continue to get wealthy on paper, but people will continue to be unbelievably stressed in reality because they will have the incomes of a rich country, but the infrastructure of a poor country. And it's the infrastructure that actually counts in the end, right? That's what makes life worth living. That's why when you go to those wealthier countries in Europe, everything seems to work. Because they're constantly building, building, building. I remember years ago living in Belgium. Many people would say Belgium is not really the model for any sort of extraordinary lifestyle. Belgium's an amazing lifestyle. And I was uh, was intrigued that there was a railway being built in the middle of a motorway. This was in the late 80s. And I was on a train and beside me, they were building a motorway and a train track in the middle of the motorway. Right. right? And I thought in my Irish head, isn't that really stupid? <laughs> you can either get the train or yeah. the car. Yeah. But you don't need both. But of course they said, no, we need both. So people have a choice. So it's like, for example, Dublin Port Tunnel. Remember the yeah. big the big yoke? Yeah. The big, the big screwdriver we had. Why yeah. do we give it back? We should have just kept building tunnels. All over the place. Like when you start building infrastructure, I was just thinking- We gave it back.
1: Who did we give it back to?
0: No, we only took it to build the Port Tunnel. Why do no. we not actually put a long lease on that and say, okay, why don't we build a metro now? Yeah. We've already started building the tunnel. We know how how, how, how to do it. I was in the Dublin Port Tunnel the other day, coming back from the airport. And I was thinking, why didn't the people who built the Dublin Port Tunnel build a railway in the middle of it? Just a third lane. Yeah. While you were doing it. And then you would have had the metro to the airport. Side by side with the tunnel. Yeah. And it would have been done. It's that idea of building not for today, but building for tomorrow. Building not for 4 million people, but building for 6 million people. Or, as we said before in the podcast, take the figure of 10 million, an island of 10 million people, a united island of 10 million people
1: in 2050, and build for that. All right. What's the priority? What's the number one priority? What would you start with? Well, I mean... The main thing is to vote
0: for the people that seem to get this. That We're seem non-political to, here, so... No, but I mean, non-political, but I mean, there must be a political party that says, hold on a second, I see what's going on here. Yeah. What's going on here, we have too much demand. We have enough supply. The people who are in charge of supply are creating bottlenecks. Why? Because they're getting very, very rich on it. Because as I said, when the demand curve shifts and the supply curve doesn't, the people who own supply get very, very rich. Mm. And identify that as the problem. Not a class warfare, not like it's landlords versus tenants, right? It sells, but it doesn't fix the problem, right? The problem is that at certain areas, there are enormous bottlenecks, the housing market being the most obvious
1: one. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So we need to go out and quiz our political masters john so to speak but have you analyzed the problem
1: yeah you right. prioritize yeah, it.
0: What, you... what what do you think what do you actually think is going on here mm. when you are now you've, you've been in power you've been in opposition you're in the dull, you you're a civic-minded person you're the type of person who has decided to become a politician what do you think is wrong Now, typically what will happen is they'll defend and say, well, this is right and this. They'll check things out. And we have been doing
1: this and that and all the rest. Yeah, but you've got to say, look, I'm
0: like, I'm cool with that. Look, I'm not, this is not aggressive, right? This is like two citizens sitting in a bar. What do you think is wrong? And if they conclude, look, we have this demand problem, which gives us these amazingly glittering statistics ideas, comparators with the rest of the world, right? Ireland is the best at this, the second best at that, mm, the richest mm, at yeah, that, right? Yeah. And somebody says, well, we have all these, but I can see what's going on here. We've bitten off more than we can chew. And because economics is only driven by GDP, it all looks good. But the average citizen, when they get back into their house, when they actually get from the commute and they get back into their Jerry-built starter home, where they can hear their neighbours riding next door. Okay, <laughs> yeah, true, yeah, fair, right? And they're knackered, and their bills are going up, and their mortgages are going up, and their tax rate seems to be very, very high. Vis a vis their mates who are in Australia or yeah. in Canada, and yep. they know, and yep. they're on yeah, a yeah. WhatsApp group to their mates in Canada or in Australia, and their mates are saying, "Well, you know, my tax rate is this, that, and the other, and I've got this lifestyle." And they're sitting in Ireland, and they're thinking, "Okay." I've got a good job. My career is going well. On paper everything is fine. But I'm commuting, I'm in traffic. My childcare's gone through the roof. I have no money at the end of the week. The starter home I bought that costs multiples of starter homes in other countries is jerry-built in an estate with no infrastructure. I'm thinking, how the fuck did this happen? Right? That's reality for thousands, tens of thousands of people. Yeah, it is. And for those people in this democracy, just have to go and say, okay, who is speaking my language? Who feels what I'm feeling? Who understands what I'm going through? That Yes, I can have 60 grand a year, 70 grand a year, right? Well above the average wage, but I feel poor. And it's that idea of joining up the dots. That's what we need to do all the time. And then if somebody says, I know what the problem is here, but it's going to take us 10 years to fix or 15 years to fix. At least you know they're thinking in the right way. Mm. Whereas somebody says, oh, well, I did this and I did that, you know, and look, look, haven't I great? Look, at all the stuff I did for you. You're still sitting in the kitchen in your starter home with no money at the end of the month, even though objectively you look very, very rich. And the political class have to see that and have to respond to this. And the key is, and I come back to it, it's Economics 101. It's your demand curve has shifted and your supply curve remains the same. So you shift the supply curve and that means attacking vested interests.